Many students may start graduate school with a vague idea about areas they would like to study, or perhaps a few general research questions. Join us, the Clemson University Informed Student Chapter, each Tuesday and Friday, as our host Muwan Sidik interviews different operations research faculty across campus to talk about research in graduate school. Today I'll be speaking with Professor Thomas Sharkey. Professor Thomas Sharkey is um, has recently actually just joined the industrial engineering department here at Clemson University. He got his PhD from the University of Florida, and prior to that, he spent 12 years in Rensselaer Polytechnic uh, Institute. It's quite a long time, actually. I didn't realize that. Um, <laughs> You look quite young for spending 12 years or so. We might, we might talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, he does a lot of research in network optimization and sort of related to illicit trafficking networks and resilient infrastructures and supply chain and, and emergency responses. And he has several research publications and he won several awards that I'm not sure we have enough time to go through all of them. But uh, without further ado, I bring to you Dr. Thomas Sharkey. Welcome, Dr. Sharkey. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the pretty amazing introduction. It's going to be difficult to find things to talk about when you start asking me what my research entails. <laughs> um, and then just a comment, I guess maybe you know my first day at Rensselaer, or the, within the first month. Yeah, I was in the faculty staff dining hall and had to run back to my office to get my faculty ID to prove that <laughs> I wasn't a student trying to you know, get access. Um, but so, yeah. So I definitely have the correct impression there. Uh, that's good. So um, actually, I don't think we've uh, uh, or I've met you before. Uh, so I was present in your the presentation that you did. I don't think we've. I was there for the breakfast thing that usually the candidates do with with the students well, no one actually was because it was a clemson snow day which means that uh that's right campus was right. down until 10 but it was completely sunny and 50 degrees out so <laughs> yeah now i remember but one thing that uh, so i was actually very captivated by the presentation it was amazing one thing and the other thing that sort of I remember vividly from your presentation was the the Breaking Bad analogy that you did. So maybe you can use that uh, to explain your research, which you're going to talk about later. But before that, I said obviously I introduced you a little bit, but maybe you can tell us if I missed anything, and then if you want to add a few words on sort of things that you do in your free times, um, it's up to you. So. Uh, I mean, I do think you covered, really characterized my research very well. I mean, I do all things networks. Um, and the one thing I would add is, you know, all things network is from what I would call kind of the technical OR side of things. And what I'm also kind of very passionate about right now is applying network optimization and operations research in general to problems of the public sector. and within the public sector, I think we need to recognize that the impact of our decisions on kind of humans can be profound. So we should, you know, I'm very interested in, and have and currently am partnering with 
faculty in areas like anthropology, criminology, public policy, so that I, we can really understand the consequences of the decisions we're recommending. So, you know, that is kind of more, you know, the next level up when we start looking outside of my own discipline, something that I'm really interested in doing. To wrap up too, I mean, um, educationally, I really like teaching all courses in operations research. And I do um, try and have done previous to you know, the whole pandemic was implementing a lot of blended learning techniques in my classroom. So there's, you know, free video tutorials for OR courses available that I've, I've produced. And then, um, you know, personally, I'm a big, I love hiking and I used to love, I love skiing, but I think I need to shift it to maybe mountain biking down here. So super excited to be so close to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I mean, we, I can see it on my walk to campus so, or while we're walking around campus. So it's really nice. That's awesome. I can already see that you're already sort of in campus. But maybe a personal question that I want to ask, which is what sort of triggered your interest in this sort of area of network optimization, especially sort of the, the its application for things like illicit trafficking and so on and so forth. So the, um, you know, just in general network optimization, you know, like probably pretty much anyone else. I took a course with a really great professor as an undergrad and, you know, then I took his next course and it was network optimization using, you know, the Ahuja, Orlin and Magnanti book and I was hooked from there on out. Um, in terms of like disrupting the illicit trafficking networks, I mean, it kind of came a little bit, you know, when you become a faculty, um, a new faculty member, you're trying to use skills within your, you know, that you're known for, what they hired you for, but you also try and want to kind of branch away a little bit so you're not living maybe in the shadow of your advisors. So. I had kind of watched the wire <laughs> going into my faculty first year as a faculty member. I'm like, well, it should, you know, feels like there's something there that we can do operations research wise. And of course there's like, you know, a huge number of papers, you know, in terms of network interdiction that already existed and a lot of work in kind of at the intersection of optimization, public policy, um, you know, so, so it took a while to figure out, okay, what exactly can we uniquely do? But kind of started with just you know, trying to pick up research from anything that I'm, I'm doing. And that's a great thing, right, about operations research. It really does feel like it can be applied anywhere as long as you properly you know, take the time to learn the application. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, the things that sort of maybe I want to cover the most is actually the doing research in graduate schools, whether it's for someone who's haven't gone to grad school yet, so they're undergrad, maybe they're interested in the idea of doing grad school, or someone who's currently doing a master's and thinking to switching to a PhD, you know, and the list goes on. And there are two sort of layers to this, or maybe not layers, but two sort of uh, parts that I want to cover. The first one is the, the general idea of research, and then the one that portrays to your specific area of interest. So maybe we can start by the general in the sense of what sort of got you into research and what would you sort of tell people who are having the idea or 
thinking about doing in, in terms of academia or research? So to start with like how I got into research was I had participated in a summer research experience for undergrads um, between my junior and senior year of college. And that essentially hooked me to the research process. It was really kind of exciting. And I mean, I think it was unique a little bit because we, I was in a team of three other undergrads. So we were con- kind of constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, so that's kind of you know, how I got interested. Now, in terms of you know, the research process and kind of how you transition, you know, if you're an undergraduate, um, I think kind of really answering the question as to why do I want to pursue a PhD or pursue the research is important. And the reason why is if you know what your ultimate goal is, it helps you be more productive when you encounter the many, many, many roadblocks that you will hit during the research process and um, it's you know it's a very different environment than classes classes you put the work in you typically will do well in them and succeed where research you know successes are not measured in terms of the number of hours or not I mean they are measured but you you have a lot of non non successes before you get those successes which makes them just feel kind of you know, nicer. So, you know, that's one thing. I mean, if you understand, you know, I want to be, I want to get my PhD so that I can do X, Y, or Z, whatever X, Y, or Z are, I think that keeps your drive going and kind of gives you in the right, like, you know, mentality in, in the work. Um, now, what to expect working with me specifically, I mean, you kind of alluded to it. I mean, you should love networks. Um, I don't think there's any way you can get away with that. I'm a little flexible at times, but you know, even when I've gone outside of it, I'm still picturing like scheduling problems as networks or assignment problems as you know, bipartite, bipartite grass. Well, I guess maybe everyone knows that. But and then I think you should also be willing to, you know, work with applications in a way that may be a little bit more you know intense than other you know pure network optimization or pure optimization I would, I would say you know i do operations research with a focus on network optimization i think operations research is kind of that next step above kind of pure optimization i don't write many papers that say consider the following mm-hmm. class of optimization problems that's typically not where i start Excellent. So let me just maybe put a few words on what you just said. So just considering the population of the people who are sort of listening to this, I want you to assume that I'm very sort of ignorant. And I don't know anything about network optimization. Assume that I just came up to you in your office and I'm interested in doing research. And I have a very vague idea about network optimization, but you want to sort of establish the idea in a very sort of simple terms and give sort of the applications and the things that you really work on specifically? So, you know, I typically view, you know, networks, the networks I work with provide some services. They either, they move something from supply points, so the points of origin to demand points. So whether that be, you know, in 
supply chain, well, I guess supply chains are a good example. So, you know, you move your products from where they were produced to the people that are going to consume them. And, you know, we can think of the intermediate points, the stopping points along that, that path from production to consumption as the kind of nodes within our network. So, you know, moving from the production facility to a warehouse to another warehouse to the person that is going to use the product, you know, all of those will be modeled with nodes and then kind of the relationships between them that I sent the product from warehouse one to warehouse two would be the arcs. And, you know, I, I'm glad that I said, decided to say supply chain because, you know, supply chains can be, can pr provide good things, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine when it comes, but it can also, they can also produce things that are bad. And so, you know, if we think of, um, you know, heavy illegal drugs, you know, heroin um, and its synthetic varieties, et cetera. I mean, you know, so, you know, in that case, I mean, what's interesting is I look at both making sure that the supply chain works well when it's good products being delivered and making trying to disrupt the supply chain when it's it's bad and i mean i think you know there's some connections you know if you're if you've resilient like i mean supply chains you know we've tried in terms of illegal drug supply chains you know, they're very resilient in terms of disruption techniques. So there maybe there could be lessons to be learned for good supply chains in terms of how to become more resilient and adaptive when, um, when faced with crises. So I'm glad that you mentioned the trafficking and sort of the illicit drug application. I guess once you talk about trafficking based on my very sort of limited um, knowledge of network optimization, it comes this idea of multiple agents. Generally, if you have a network, you can sort of see it from the perspective of you know a single agent that I have a supply that I want to sort of deliver from point A to point B, and I'm thinking about what is the sort of the optimal way to do this in terms of cost or whatever you define optimality in that case. But when you talk about interdiction, for example, you then you have this idea of more than one agent that's one of them is sort of kind of almost playing a game a game against the other person and i'm trying to segue the conversation here towards breaking bets so um maybe maybe you can uh maybe you can just sort of demonstrate the idea of the, the two agents when it comes to uh, the drug trafficking i guess yeah well i mean i think it, for those who are familiar with breaking bad i mean it's really the game that Hank was playing versus, you know, um, Heisenberg and Gus Springs and all everyone else in the Dons. I mean, it's basically, you know, people are going to try and disrupt. So whether that be that disrupt the bad network. So it could be, you know, law enforcement is an example that comes to a lot of people's minds. Um, in terms of they will try and do something. They'll try and make arrests. They'll try and make trafficking corridors harder to ship through. Um, but there are other examples of kind of quote unquote agents that are trying to disrupt. So you could think of 
trying to intervene for those who are consuming the drugs and, and you know, people that are trying to perform, provide services to make it less likely that you know, people turn to drugs as an outlet for the stress in their lives or for their, their current socioeconomic status. I mean, those services can be disrupting the people that are consuming the drug, which could kind of set off a chain reaction as well. So, you know, law enforcement is, tends to be where you think of when you're trying to disrupt drug trafficking networks, but there are other types of disruptions as well. So what happens you know, with the multi-agent that you're talking about is we have these people trying to disrupt the network and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And then the network, so the traffickers, you know, Heisenberg, you know, Gus Fring, you know, they're going to try and operate their supply chain as best as possible. So you, you get this kind of game where we want to, you know, the, the people intervening want to best disrupt the best operations of the the supply chain so you have and really it should be i didn't say that perfectly i would say you know we want to have the largest disruption you know kind of conditioned on realizing that someone else is going to then operate the network once we do our disruption this could be i mean very uh, stupid question but why, for example, this isn't considered to be as a problem that should be solved by criminology versus, you know, um, operations research? Or, or do you collaborate with these people? Or are you sort of two separate entities that operate independently of each other? So we are currently, you know, I have, am collaborating with people outside. And it took a while, it took a little bit of time to get there. I mean, I think it's, it's sometimes hard to have the types of conversations that are needed to kind of bridge the gap when people are earlier in their careers, I would say. So I have a whole lot of respect for people that figure out how to have those conversations early on, but it took me a while to start that. And um, what, I'm, what we're finding kind of with the research I'm doing is there are things that we can explain with optimization that have already you know, we're almost confirming theories in, in criminology. So, you know, something that one of my students in the past year has been working on has basically mathematically shown that disrupting at the user level and the dealer level of drug trafficking networks, you know, under a lot of conditions is simply not going to get you anywhere. I mean, if, if you can replace dealers quickly, if you can replace users quickly, you're not going to get much bang for you. you're not going to do any sort of overall disruption and you know that's something that has i think been known in the criminology literature for a while and has been argued that you know you you it you have to go higher in order to really have those effects yeah. so you know we're able to kind of almost put a second val you know a validation of some of the things argued for in my opinion in the criminology literature and then you know a lot of work i'm doing right now is teaming with um, people with a background, really deep domain expertise in trafficking and trafficking across a lot of different um, industries, a lot of different um, areas. And you know, I think the the at a high level, I mean, people operating kind of these illicit networks, they're kind of more opportunistic, like. 
you if it all of a sudden becomes hard to traffic in drugs you know maybe that it's a shift then they're going to traffic in some other kind of illegal activity so you know it, i i think we're starting to see that it may not just be drug trafficking it may be a combination of a lot of different trafficking efforts simultaneously it's always very rewarding to sort of see your conclusions are validated by sort of external say fields or external resources that sort of aren't necessarily directly related to the methodology or whatever that you're using but for the interest of time or maybe you want to just try to wrap this um, quickly just maybe you can give a word or two about sort of the technical and non-technical skills that you look for in a student and you think in general students should have going into research you know whether it's a master's level or a phd level i mean in terms of technical skills if you're i think you should any student whatever area they're in should be able to kind of quickly and intuitively explain like the one major result in their field so for me i mean i think my students really should be able to explain max flow min cut duality very mm. quickly or just duality in general mm. because it's really fundamental to a lot of work that i do um in terms of you know kind of the non-technical skills um i think we've already talked a little bit about like you know how you deal with non-successes in research i think that goes a long way i mean you you have to be able to handle the fact that on a kind of day in day out aspect of research you're not going to get too many like wow moments the wow moments are awesome when they come but there's a lot of effort that go into them um i also think that you know for my my students i mean i want them to kind of openly communicate with me um in terms of you know where they are and you know that open communication i think is important because you know i i i don't know why my students like this so much when i tell them <laughs> this at the beginning but i'm like you know there are going to be times working with me that i'm going to probably annoy and aggravate you i mean it's you know we're working together for 3 yeah. or 4 years um but the choices i'm making i mean i have i what i believe to be the best interest of the students in mind so you know that open communication i mean i have no problem explaining to you to my students why i'm suggesting certain things or doing certain things so i think mm -hmm. that openness is important and one final thing i mean you know to to talk a little bit about like you know tying back to the application area the criminology etc i mean i think in these areas i think if you're going to work in an application area um that you're connecting to other disciplines i think I will I like my students to be humble in the sense that they recognize that operations research while awesome and really cool does not have all the answers um and that we we can help an application we can't do it ourselves and I think that's something that I you know I've come to realize it took me a long time to realize that and I think it's something that I want to keep going with my students forward I guess the well, maybe correct me if I'm wrong but part of that is that or this sort of alludes to the fact that you need to sort of collaborate with people from outside of your field outside of operations research in order for you to sort of get better results and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the level of interaction is going to vary by you know where you are in your career. So for like my students, I mean I don't mind being the one doing kind of the more active 
collaboration across the fields. Because I mean, you came you you came to an IE department to do a PhD in IE, so you know, there's a lot of technical skills you have to acquire to do that. Um, but I think it's more just kind of keeping kind of the openness in mind, and that you know. We're not providing a solution to a problem. We're providing a model that can help provide insights to that. And I mean, that's been talked about for 50 or 60 years, uh, probably further. There's definitely a, a rich sort of history of literature uh, when it comes to these topics. But I think we're running out of time. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was so much fun. And I think. This is maybe just gives a glimpse of the wonderful research that you do. Maybe, I, I don't know, does there is sort of a website that we can link for the podcast so people can sort of read more about your research? Um, I know that there's the Google Scholar page, which I sort of resorted to to do my research when I was sort of preparing for this. But is there's any, um, any other sort of media platform that people can sort of find more about you or? Yeah, I have a site through Google, so it's slash TC Shark. I'll send you the link. Okay, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll we'll put it in a we'll put it in a in a link to to whatever this goes on. So, yeah, but thank you again, and um, that was fun. <laughs>